The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would please, and open them to Exodus chapter 20. And the title of the message today is, The Name Above All Names. I want to begin reading at verse number 1 and read down to verse number 7 of this 20th chapter. These verses are the introduction to the whole of the Ten Commandments and to, of course, to the first three that were spoken by God on Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 1 And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain." Now, the first three commandments are an expression of the exclusivity of worship. Verse number one begins, And God spake all these words. And that is a statement that needs to be very carefully considered. And we should ask God, just as the psalmist did, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Who are we that God should speak to us? God Almighty, who is the sovereign Creator created the world's ex nihilo, that means out of nothing, and he was pleased to reveal himself to the creature and to speak to us. And these words that we've just read are words that we would expect him to say. Since he is the author and the creator of all things, of all life, we'd expect him to say the first commandment, that we dare not worship any god but him. And we expect him to say the second commandment, that no one can worship him in any other way than the way that he wants to be worshipped. You can't worship God in a false way. And so God said that we are never to make an idol of anything that represents him. We're not to make an idol with human hands by which he is to be worshipped. And then further, to accentuate the exclusivity of worship, he added this third command... If you speak my name, it must be done with respect, it must be done with awe and the reverence that it's due. It is the highest, holiest name that can ever be spoken by human tongue. God's name is glorious. It's different from every other name, and it must be set apart. His name separates him from all others. There is no being like him. And his name can't be put into the same sentence with anything that even remotely detracts from the reverence that it's due. John Calvin wrote, The end of the precept is that the Lord will have the majesty of his name to be held inviolably sacred by us. Whatever we think and whatever we say of him should savor of his excellency, correspond to the sacred sublimity of his name, and tend to the exaltation of his magnificence. 
I think that there are very few that respect God's name in the way that John Calvin just described or in the way that this commandment demands. I do believe that most of us who recognize the absolute sovereignty of God over his creation, that recognize that God does what he wills without consult of man, with man, that he does what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants, only those that have at least come that far in our understanding of God could even approach to keep this commandment in the way that God says that we are to keep it. You may be very confused about the doctrines of grace. You may not fully understand the total depravity and the inability of man. You may not understand the election of God's people to salvation before the foundation of the world. You may not understand particular redemption and the effectual, unfailing call of the Holy Spirit of His people to salvation. You may not understand the full person and preservation of God's people in their salvation. You may not understand all of that and all of those things so perfectly fit together and you might even disagree with that. You may not understand it all. But one thing that you have to recognize about those doctrines is that they exalt God. There is nothing that exalts God more than those doctrines and if you believe them, you can't pull down God with them. Charles Spurgeon said, that they lay man in the dust, that they will not let you put God beneath the feet of man, but they always exalt and they glorify the name of the Lord God. I once had a preacher who told me, I disagree with you on those doctrines. And then he said, but at least I know this, your doctrine exalts the name of God. And if my doctrine exalts the name of God in such a way that he is unapproachable in his magnitude, then I have found the doctrine of this third commandment. God's name is above all other names. Well, this is the second of the messages on this third commandment. And for our continuity and your understanding, let me take you back to the last message to summarize just a bit before we go on. In the last message, we discussed the principles of the command. Thou shalt not take, is what God said. Thou shalt not take. Take means to employ his name to put it into use, to put it into action. Thou shalt not bring it up. Thou shalt not stir it up. Thou shalt not lift it up. Thou shalt not fetch it up. That's what the word take means. And he says, you shall not take my name. You shall not take my name. And so we ask, what is the name? Well, it's not just the words or the syllables. It's not the sounds of the words. His name is not just a designation by which God is called, but his name is actually the richness of his being. The name is what God is. It represents his personhood. It stands for all the doctrines that we have in the word of God concerning him about who he is. The name stands for his attributes, what God is in his character. The name describes him in such a way that to speak his name is to stir up remembrance of who he is, to think of all that he is. And so when you use his name to associate and with other parts of the sentence, you use his name in your sentence, it means that you had best be very careful of the context in which you use it. God said, do not take my name in vain. Vain means useless. It means of no account. It means no value. It means to be empty, of no consequence. His name is not to be a part of conversations and thrown in in such a way that it is of no more value than other words that you use in your sentence. There are consequences to the use of God's name. No lost person ought ever to misuse it, and certainly... Certainly, no Christian should ever dare think of misusing God's name. He alone is God. 
He is to be worshipped for the value that His precious name stands for. That name represents the Holy God. He's the majestic one. He's the one who sits on the throne of heaven and where the seraphim continually praise Him day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And so every word that you speak about God ought to reflect that holiness. That is the principle of the command. In the last message, we concentrated on this one thought. What is the principle of this command? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now today I'd like to move on to, to speak to you about the priority of the name. Now the title of the message hints at its priority, that God's name is above all other names, and it has to be. I mean, uh, th this is the person, this is that God who made things all out of nothing. Uh, by virtue of being the creator, his name must be above others because the creature is always lesser than the one who created it. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 9, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Then the thing, can the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Oh, the exalted nature of God's name is implied in that very first commandment. There can't be a name higher than the only one true God. Now, you, you hear what I say, and you, you hear what I teach as the meaning of this command, and you may say, well, all that's really worth listening to, but I can't tell you upon my authority which names you can speak. It's not on my authority that I tell you, you can't say this or that about God. I can't tell you whose name to speak. Now, we read it here in the Old Testament, but as far as you're concerned, all that I'm doing is just interpreting Scripture. I'm just preaching to you what I think that Scripture means. That's what you might say. And I would argue that here is Scripture that doesn't need interpretation, that the Hebrew is no clearer than our English version, that scholars can do no better job of picking apart the original languages to find out what this means. Your understanding is good what you read right here in the English text. But instead of listening to me tell you, let me have you listen to the master teacher and what he says. What did Jesus say about God's name? Well, he said that God's name is sanctified. He said his name is set apart from all other names. Do you trust Jesus Christ and his exposition of Scripture? Can you believe what Jesus says? Can you rely upon that? I mean, even his enemies uh, agreed that there was no one that spoke like him. After he preached his Sermon on the Mount, the people walked away amazed and they said, well, there's nobody who teaches like him. He teaches as one who has authority. Not as the scribes and the Pharisees. He teaches as he has authority. And Jesus was different from all of their teachers because they relied upon the authority of others. The rabbis were always talking about others. They would take the people back to some old rabbi and what he said, and they would use what the old rabbi said as the basis for their own teachings. They never relied upon their own authority. And so when Jesus began to preach, he was much different from that. In the Sermon on the Mount, numerous times he said, well, you've heard what they said. You've heard it said of old time, but this is what I say unto you. He's not talking about what the old rabbi said. He said, this is what I tell you. And he found his authority in his own words. And that's because he is God. God never goes to someone for authority. Jesus' words were original. When he quoted scriptures, who was he quoting? He was quoting himself because he's the author of those scriptures. Doesn't verse number 1 say, And God spake all these words? And I want you to hold that particular thought for just a moment. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was praying, 
And his disciples listened, and when he was finished, one of them asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And they respected his authority. They knew that whatever he said was going to be right. So they said, teach us to pray as you pray. And so Jesus began his instructions, and he said, when you pray, this is what you say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed's the same word from which we get sanctified. The word that means set apart from all others. One Bible dictionary says, holy, perfect, transcendent, spiritually pure, evoking adoration and reverence. And so Jesus began his teachings on prayer by saying, this is what you must do. You must speak to God with a recognition of the holiness of his name. You must understand who you are speaking to. Now, in an Old Testament context, that would have been the same as saying, when you come into the presence of God, you'd better take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. Now, understand that God is everywhere, and so when you speak His name with irreverence, it's like wearing muddy boots on the holy ground. As Calvin said, you can't speak His name without commitment to His magnificence. And that's what Jesus did in his own prayers. He never spoke of the Father without the reverence that he was due. In John 17, Jesus prayed and referred to the Holy Father. Have you ever read anything in the Scripture where Jesus spoke flippantly about the Father? Did he ever joke about the name of the Father? No, but this is what he said, John 12, 28. He said, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Glorify thy name. That's the only way that he would speak to God. Glorifying his name. Now I want to show you something else. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2. The Old Testament showed us that God's name must be used in reverence. And in the last name we prove that by looking at the many names that are used for God in the scripture. Names like Jehovah which means that he is the self-existent one. El Shaddai, which means that he is God Almighty. El Olam, which means he is the everlasting God. And then we looked at that term Adonai, which means master or Lord. Now, look at this great curiosity of Philippians 2. I ask you to hold on to the thought that when Jesus spoke Scripture, he was quoting himself. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you read that and you say, no, wait just a minute. How, how can this be? Every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now Jehovah God in Exodus chapter 3 and in Exodus 6 and in Exodus 20 we learn is the name that is above all names. And now we come to Philippians chapter 2, and it says that Jesus Christ is the name that is above all names. So how can that be? 
How can the command of Exodus 20 to have no other gods before Jehovah God and never worship another god, how can that be true if Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 is true? Well, the only conclusion that we can come to is that Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. And the implications of that statement are just staggering. I had a conversation with Jorge a few weeks ago. Uh, he has a burden for his co-workers. On days that he doesn't want to kill them, he actually does witness to them. And apparently Jorge's workplace is a, a microcosm of some of the worst specimens that humanity can offer. And Jorge is disgusted by the constant profanity that he hears and the use of God's holy name. And he made this interesting comment. He said that one of his co-workers said that he wasn't opposed to Christianity, but that he would take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the gods of others, and he would make a god that he could worship. Now, you and I are appalled by that. I mean, the worst people of society drag the name of Jesus through the mud. Oh, we're upset when people do that. Well, why is it that we don't show the same disgust when someone from high society does that? What about the President of the United States? Why is he allowed to do the same? Now, the truth is that it's far worse for the President than it is for Jorge's co-worker, and that's because the President has influence. The President has been ordained by God to enforce God's laws in decent society. And yet the president is horribly indecent because he throws the name of Jesus into the pot with many other gods. Now in this year's election, we're, we're opposed to replace him with someone who is as bad or worse. On one hand, we have a candidate that claims Christianity and yet mutilates the commandments of God by every social program that she proposes. And then on the other side, we have a man who has such blatant disregard for God that he makes himself God. He said, I don't have any need of repentance, of forgiveness. And a man who makes those kinds of claims, claims God's perfection. He doesn't need God, so he doesn't know anything about Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you disagree with me on this, on the dilemma about voting. What if I abstain from voting because the only ones that I have to vote for are blasphemers? What's the difference between Donald and Hillary? Most will say, the lesser of two evils. How? Because Trump favors guns and Hillary doesn't? Is that the standard of righteousness in our country? Are we going to be saved from destruction because of the economy or because of gun control? Where's my citizenship, folks? My citizenship is in heaven. I'm not telling you not to vote. I, I, I'm just telling you that the religious right is wrong when it makes voting the 11th commandment. Exercise your right to vote because you're a citizen who can, but this year, above all others, don't try to attach a righteous cause to it. There isn't one. Now, I'm, I'm going to get to this in the next message, but one of the ways that we can take God's name in vain is to attach it to righteous causes when the Lord has not spoken. America is not God's country. Heaven is. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm just telling you that it's not a moral requirement, especially when there are scoundrels that rule our country. Now, if you have to vote for Baal or Molech, which one do you choose? This year, we've got a choice of Ahab or Jezebel. So which one do you choose? One's going to be dead in his chariot. The other one's going to be eaten by dogs. So it seems to me that neither of those is a righteous choice. What we're talking about is politics. That's just politics. I owe my allegiance to the king of kings. 
Can't we serve God and promote His kingdom with at least as much fervor as we do political parties? But nobody ever thinks about throwing that much energy into the cause of Christ. So it's okay with me if you vote. Hold your nose and vote. Pray for the one that you vote for. Paul's idea of a, a Christian involvement in, in government only concerned the peace of the gospel. And so pray that we can preach the gospel without interference. And preach, or, or rather, vote for the one who gives us the greatest opportunity to keep religious freedom in our country so we can keep preaching the gospel of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith and let me add just another thing I'm, I'm just too deep to swim out now anyway uh, it's been said that if all conservative Christians had voted in the last election that Barack Obama would not have been our president you know that's a huge assumption Conservative Christians have been voting for the Democratic Party for years. Not all conservative Christians would have voted for Mitt Romney in 2012. I know many who wouldn't vote for Mitt Romney. And so if all conservative Christians had voted in the last election, Barack Obama may have won by 8 million votes instead of 4. So this is the problem that I see it. We have equated Christianity with Second Amendment rights. And so we say, well, Satan's in favor of gun control, and God's a member of the NRA. But excuse me, folks, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Satan favors universal health care, while God favors opting out if you want. God's not a member of your political party. So let's put God's name back where it belongs. God favors righteousness and morality. Satan, we know, favors things like homosexual rights. So what do you do? Guess what? Both Republicans and Democrats favor it. This year at the Republican convention, one of the key speakers was a gay businessman. And in Donald Trump's acceptance speech, he promised to protect the horrid evil of the LBGTQ agenda. What's the difference, folks? So go to the polls and pull the lever, do the American thing, just don't attach a righteous cause to it. Now, I wonder if any of you are going to hear what else I have to say. This is why Paul didn't preach politics. Because the more that you offend people with the politics, the less opportunity that you have for an audience. So how many ways can we do this? How many ways can we take the Lord's name in vain? Well, we most often think about profanity, that that's the way that you do it. But profanity is only one of the ways that we take his name in vain. Making God a card-carrying member of the NRA is another one. Now let's just, let's just move on then. Let's talk about the priorities of his name. Or the... I should the prohibition of his name. Uh, the prohibitive use of his name. What ways did God say, you cannot use my name? Well, there's so many of them, I can't finish them today. Uh, some of you might be too upset to come back and hear the rest of them. So let me finish out today by speaking of only one way that we take God's name in vain, and then we'll resume with others the next time. How do we take his name in vain? Well, first, we can do it by using his name irreverently. Now, that, that, that should be obvious by the discussion of Jesus' instructions in the Lord's Prayer. He said, hallowed be thy name. The name stands apart. There is dignity in his name. Let me show you a couple of things in the Scriptures. Turn to Acts chapter 23. 
There's dignity in the name. Now, I confess to you that I don't like the policies of our president. I don't know him personally, but it's hard for me to separate the policies from the man, and so I don't really think much of the man either. But he is the president of the United States, and because he does have that office, when he assumed that office, there is respect that is due to him. Now, in Acts chapter 23, Paul appeared before the Jewish Sanhedrin, and he was answering charges against him. And interestingly, the Jews had charged him with blasphemy because he preached Jesus Christ. Acts 23, verse number 1, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, or I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now I can promise you that this high priest was as wicked as he could be to high heaven, that he was a religious charlatan, he was a self-serving disgrace to his office. But Paul said there is respect to the one who is the leader of the people. And then he quoted Old Testament scripture concerning it. Now, if you'll turn just a few pages over to chapter 26, Paul here appears before King Agrippa and Festus the governor. And notice how he addresses this vile Roman leader. Festus had heard Paul's testimony, and he just accused him of being crazy, being a madman. And in verse number 25, Paul responds, but he said, Paul said, I'm not mad, I'm not crazy, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. There you see Paul referred to him as most noble Festus. And I'm sure that those words brought a bad taste to his mouth. He recognized Festus as noble only with relation to the dignity of his office. And we recognize that, and we should recognize it, that a king is addressed as your majesty. That doesn't matter if he's a despot or he's a beloved ruler. He is your majesty. Now with God, there's not only dignity because of his position, but there's dignity because of his person. A king says, when you appear before me, you must respect my name with reverence. Is God less than an earthly king? Well, certainly not. To use his name with anything less than reverence would be a, a slap in the face of God. To speak lightly of God is to devalue his dignity. I don't like the president, but I promise you that if he walked into this auditorium today, that I would give him the respect that is due to his office. If Hillary becomes the president... I might have to bite my hole in my tongue and shoot myself with a gun that she won't let me have, but I'll give her respect. That's hard. Paul said, rulers are a terror to evil, while full knowing when he said that, that many rulers are a terrible evil. We don't have that problem with God. Both the office and the person are superlative, so there aren't enough words that we can honor his name. Now we speak God's name irreverently when it's used in profanity. When you attach God's, when you attach damn to God's name, you claim an action for God that he'll never do. 
Oh, yes, God will damn people, but he doesn't damn who you damn. He will damn you for using his name. And even if you don't use God's name with your profanity, I want you to listen very carefully to this, that profane language, that bad language, that filthy language, is to destroy the gift that God has given. God gave us language for communication. Many of you have pets at home that you speak to, but not one time has your pet ever spoken back to you in the same language that you speak to them. Now, your pet might speak to you, so to speak, with the actions that he performs, but your pet doesn't speak back to you. You see, God made you different. You're a higher order. In fact, God made you in his image. He gave you the ability to communicate with others and with him. He made you an intelligent and intelligent creature, although many people don't act very much like it. We are intelligent creatures. Now, after the Olympics, I, I was reading an article about how the best athletes in the world cannot compete with animals. That a 1,000-pound bear runs faster than the fastest human alive, Hussein Bolt. And that um, the fastest human can swim a little bit less than 5 miles per hour, but a sailfish swims at 68 miles per hour. That a human can high jump 8 feet, but a pit bull can jump 14 feet. But animals can't approach our intelligence. And that's because we're made in the image of God. We can communicate because God gave us speech. He gave us a special gift. And profanity destroys that gift that God gave. Profanity devalues God by devaluing his gifts. If a person has so little vocabulary that he has to lace every third word with a profanity, with an expletive, is a moron. You know, I always look at people that way. You're stupid if you don't have a better grasp of the language than to use profanity. Get a dictionary. It at least look like you know something. Try to look intelligent anyway. Now, the prohibition for a Christian is especially acute. It is. I want you to turn to James chapter 3, if you would, and here we can see the incongruity of being a Christian and cursing. Those things just don't go together. Now, James speaks of the difficulty of controlling speech. And I want to read just a part of this because we, we can actually lose ourselves in the exposition of this text and preach another sermon. So we'll just look at it very briefly. Verse number 6 of James 3. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and serpents and Things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And you see what James says? The tongue is a deadly poison. The poison, of course, that he's talking about is foul speech. That can be cursing. It can be gossip. It may be bitterness. Verse 10 says that out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing, and it ought not to be. Think about that, Christian. You can't come in here and praise God and then go out there and curse other people. Out of the same mouth cannot come blessing and cursing. And you notice there that it says that man is made after the similitude of God. 
which is telling us that to curse man is to curse God. Do I need to explain that? Maybe I do, because there are many Christians that don't seem to get this, that when you receive Christ as your Savior, he put, Christ put new desires into your heart. He changed you from what you were to something different. You were once a blasphemer. It didn't bother you to use God's name in vain. But now that you're saved, God requires you to use your mouth for God's glory. That you have a mouth to be used for praying, for praising and proclaiming the majesty of God. That God gave you a tongue for singing His praises and for speaking His word. That God gave you speech for witnessing the grace of God and not to wrench the language with gutter speak. And so your tongue is to be used for God's purposes. It can't be using, used for curses. Cursing what God has given. You see, your tongue doesn't belong to you anymore. When Christ purchased your salvation, He purchased all of you. He purchased every part of you. All of that belongs to Him. And when you do that anyway, when you take what belongs to God, you destroy God's image in you. Now, I need to keep having conversations with Jorge because he, he furnishes me with many illustrations. But he told me about a person that he knew that refused to hear about Christ and refused to hear about this church because there was a member of the church that did some work for this person and got mad on the job. And, and when he did, he flew into a rage and he started using horrible language and bitter uh, cursing against this person. And this person said, I am never going to go to your church. If that is your Christianity, I don't want any part of it. And how many times has that happened? How many people have you turned away from Christ because your tongue is uncontrollable and you blaspheme God with it? That's not a testimony for God or for this church. And I'll be honest with you, there's a reason that I don't have Facebook. I don't, I don't hang out on social media because I got tired of so many times that I saw ungodly church members with posts and then others who read them and throw their thumbs up. I like that. I remember a few years ago I was preaching on the same subject and, and I was complaining about it. And there were some older members of the church that didn't have a computer, they didn't have smartphones, they, they didn't know anything about this stuff. And so when I was done preaching that sermon, they came up to me and they said, are there really some members of our church that do that? Why are they members of the church? And why indeed? That's a very good question. They couldn't believe it. And you know, I think the Lord asked the very same question, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Now, I know that we're all sinners. We all need the grace of God. We sin every day. But what's wrong with a Christian who, who's not afraid or just puts that stuff up there for people to see like stamping themselves with a scarlet letter of what they are? I think back many years ago, there were two deacons that got into an argument in the parking lot. And the profanity was so bad that people listening didn't know what to do. So they just got in the car and they drove away. Now, don't panic. Those deacons aren't here any longer. One of them had the audacity to say to me after it was over, I just cursed that much harder to prove he couldn't out-curse me. How do, you, how do you repair reputations when the filth of the world is a part of your speech? Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. He gives us a voice to praise his name. That's not to be made into the bitter waters of Marah. James said, does a fountain... Send forth at the same time, same place, sweet water and bitter. So don't come in here and praise God's name. Don't sing the songs. Don't say the prayers. And then go out there 
and drag God's name through the mud. Now let me warn you about this as Jesus did, that the mouth is an indicator of your heart. He said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Uh, You need to be very cautious about this because if evil speech is your way of life, then you may just be a religious pretender. You don't really know the Lord. You're, You're not any different from the scribes and the Pharisees. Your heart sends out profanity because you've never really met Christ. He's the one who changes the fountain from the bitter to the sweet. And then sweet water flows from it. So those old people ask a very good question. Why are people that are members of Berean do this? Why are they teaching our kids? Why are they deacons? Now thank the Lord as far as I know, that's gone. We don't have that problem. But if you know otherwise, if you hear of this, go talk to that person. Tell them how much, how much offense that you take at that to use God's name in that way. And if they don't stop doing it, then maybe we need to get into a Matthew 18 disciplinary process. Using God's name that way insults him. Profanity, vulgarity, abusive language, blasphemy. All of those are violations of this third commandment. Words that don't include God... But their nasty words are also violations of this command. We're never to forget that we are made in the image of God. And have you noticed this? That the more that our common speech is laced with profanity, the less influence we have with God. When the image of God is destroyed in us, it breaks down the respect that we have for other people. Let me give you an example of this. We have some neighbors with some teenage boys And for the 13 years that we lived in our house, we watched those young boys grow up. And as they're growing up, they they used to have a a basketball goal uh, in the alley behind our house. And they would play, and they would just shout out terrible stuff at each other. And those words and all of that would come over the fence as my grandchildren would come over to play in our backyard, and they would hear all that stuff. And so I'd have to go over there, and I'd have to tell them, lock that stuff down. Don't talk like that. Have there been times when I've been in restaurants and I've heard some blowhard in the, in the booth that's next to me using foul language and I've turned around to them and I've said, I don't want my wife and kids hearing that language. And you know, that used to work. People would shut up. I thought about doing that on a plane one time when I was flying from, I don't know where I was going, but there was a guy in the seat behind me and, and uh, he was just really letting it rip. You know, just, just everybody around could hear it. And uh, I didn't turn around and talk to him because you know what happens on a plane. If somebody gets a rake, then we're all landing and I'm going to jail and so is he. So you've got to be careful about that. But that's the way people are. When you use profanity and you don't care who hears it, that is not respecting other people. It's respecting, disrespecting the image of God. How we treat people is broken down by profanity. And so you need to shut all that stuff down. It's harder and harder to get people to do it because people have lost common human decency don't take god's name in vain maybe some of you say well profanity is not my problem i don't take god's name in vain i hope that's true 
As I told you last week, I grew up in a Christian home. I never heard those kinds of things in my home. I never became a person who, who used profanity. So I can honestly say that there's never been a person who's ever been able to say, I've heard you curse because I don't do it. I don't do it because it's not a part of my language. I don't subconsciously do it because I don't think that way. It's not a part of my language. People say, well, oh, I just wasn't thinking. As this, that's an excuse, I just wasn't thinking. Well, start thinking. What comes from your heart says who you are. So start thinking about what you're saying. So is your home like this? Do your children hear you curse? Do they repeat what you say? That's violation of the third commandment. Now today, we've just scratched the surface of this command. I'm going to give you more of it next week. Never be guilty of taking God's name in vain. And you may say, I don't use the profanity. But there are many, many other ways that we do it. And before we're through with the list of the things that I want to talk to you about, you'll find yourself in there somewhere, so will I, of times that we take God's name in vain. Now, if you didn't get too mad at me today, give me a chance. Come back next week. I'll try harder uh, if I can. But actually, nobody should get mad about God's Word. We need to get glad about it. If you disagree with me, I don't mind discussing the sermons. I'll talk to you about it. We'll get glad when we start acting like God. That's what these commandments are for. The Ten Commandments will do this. The world, the government, society, our church will be better if we keep God's commandments. God promised that it would be true. It'll happen, and so shall it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your holy word. We thank you for the great God that you are. Hallowed be thy name, Father. May we use your name as a sanctified name, to set it apart from all others. May we never be guilty of putting your name into common speech in such a way that it's used irreverently, without thinking, without knowing that when we speak your name, it should be only to glorify you as the great God that you are. Lord, help us to confess that sin, especially Christians among us, to confess that sin today and say, we will not do this, we will obey the Lord's command. And then I pray for others that are here today. Maybe they think that everything's fine, everything's been okay. But then they find themselves in the very situation that I've talked about today. That they don't mind using your name in vain. They, they don't mind breaking the other commandments. They do that with impunity. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts and show them the right way and show them that if they think they're saved and they can continue to do these things, it's a very strong indication that Christ has never entered into their heart. God's people do not make this a way of life. Lord, help us to see that. Open up someone's heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.